Hello, I'm Alistair. And I'm Andrew. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 3 of Seen From Above, an informal podcast about the cool things happening in Earth Observation. Check out seenfromabove.org for the podcast archive and show notes. Follow the show on Twitter via at EOSeenFrom and using the hashtag SeenFromAbove. In this episode, we have a chat about conferences. Okay, so let's do the news on the 30th of September, 2020. Quite a few things floating around at the moment, quite a few conferences going on. The thing that most struck me in the time that we last spoke was that Planet and KSTAT and Airbus have been awarded a massive 37 million euro contract to supply basements for mid-latitude areas of the world through a Norwegian international climate and forests initiative. So I think these are going to be monthly base maps. It's really nice to see a focus on on this area. And I I think for companies like Planet, it seems like a nice marriage between being a profitable commercial company and doing good. So this is is really nice to see that whole sort of environmental side of things, which is what you and I obviously have a strong affiliation to in terms of Earth observation, and just being able to see that there's going to be improved spatial resolution and I guess improved temporal resolution data available for looking at deforestation and reforestation and change and and land degradation and how that's being addressed and changed as well. I think it's a really good initiative, this one. Yeah, it's saying they're going to be freely available for anybody to view and use through Global Forest Watch site. I guess it implies that they'll be uploaded into Earth Engines. That'd be massive for them. The data set goes back with, with other suppliers all the way back to 2002. So okay. this is a massive investment. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure I'm aware of such a publicly announced investment in Earth observation data as this. So that, that was going to be my question. Is £37 million a lot for this? Is that more money than is necessary? Or do you think that there's so much data and processing time and, and compute power and everything that's going to be needed that actually that's a fair representation? It'd be interesting to see if there's a breakdown anywhere of, of how this was tendered, if it was tendered, or whether it's just been a direct award or anything like that. Well, there's an interesting side point, isn't there, that there must be a lot of data now that's been acquired commercially that exists and is sitting on disk somewhere that is not accessible but not doing anything and maybe it's it's already been paid for at what point does that image acquisition pay for itself but ultimately it's surely better that this comes out and is useful this is definitely one to keep an eye on i think okay so i wanted to just highlight something It's really cool, I think. And I think this is the type of thing we should be supporting more and more. So it's a tweet from the Kenya Space Agency. And it basically says that uh, representatives held a meeting with some of the county officials in part of Kenya to discuss using Earth observation data in spatial planning for that county. And that acquisition of high resolution satellite imagery was identified as a priority. I think this is great. I think this is exactly the sort of thing that some of these these national space agencies should be doing is looking at how different types of Earth observation data can support different types of application within each country. And this whole idea of spatial planning is something I've come across time and again in, in sort of geospatial terms. But it's great to see that you know, this is something that's actually happening on the ground and that the National Space Agency is actively engaging with some of the county administrators to, in order to, to get hold of the correct types of data 
and make sure that processing happens. Yeah, I mean, maybe they can utilize this Global Forest Watch data set. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of really, really good work going on around the world in lots of different organizations that are using space data and space acquired data to really push forward on the issues that they need to. But for one reason or another, we in in developed countries don't go looking for that news or we just don't hear about it. And I think that's a real shame. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I just wanted to mention that ISI have gone through another funding round at Series C. They raised $87 million, almost a silent bit of news that sort of slipped by in uh, September. But there's real money pouring into radar, it seems. Like, I don't know if you've seen on LinkedIn, but it seems that ISI are taking on loads of people. They seem to be growing. I mean, I guess if you've got 87 million <laughs> dollars or euros or uh, um, dollars, yeah, yeah, dollars, and you've got to do something with it. And I mean, it's one of those things that you try and keep on top of, but there's obviously um, huge interest in investors here. When it gets to this level, it does sort of start questioning in my mind as to what the end game is. Is the plan now to be acquired by somebody or are they going to, to start acquiring companies or are they going to totally own the market and then try to float to a, an IPO? I'm really keen to sort of learn more about this side of the downstream sector of Earth observation. If they carry on with their investment as they are, then they're going to be on a par with Planet. And it, it would be interesting to have an optical and a radar company that are so dominant in each of the sort of different sides of things. I don't, I don't know if you agree with this, but technology-wise, we've always spoken about radar and optical as two different things. And I guess that's true. But if it then means that you get a separation commercially as well into distinct sort of subsectors of the earth observation market that is weird because it's just based on technology it shouldn't really matter commercially how things pan out there's so many different ways this could play out in terms of trying to understand like you say how the investors are going to get their return because it's not going to come through selling data yeah want to want to keep an eye on um also in news, I think we both pulled this up. So it's quite interesting, isn't it, that GHGSAT and Sentinel-5 are coming together. I saw this article on the BBC, again, Jonathan Amos. Um, <laughs> GHGSAT, you know, has got a very interesting and compelling use case, I think, for, for their satellites, you know, monitoring methane and also tying it in with Sentinel-5P. The way this this is all being sort of pulled together and monitoring of these atmospheric gases and, and emissions is really amazing. Marrying these two satellites together is like a dream team for investigating um, methane emissions because you get to see the whole world and then you get to really focus in on the detail with GHGSAT. You came at it from the BBC and I came at it from a, an article on the European Space Agency page and it's so well timed, I think, at the moment. In this ESA article, it mentions that the EU will issue a methane strategy later this year, which includes emissions from landfill sites as a priority target. Mm. So, so exactly what you were saying, you've got the overview from Sentinel-5Ps, and then you, you're able to zoom in to the specific landfill sites with the, the high-resolution GHGSAT systems. You're right. It is, it's really compelling, especially when you have something like a Sentinel-2 image or some other optical image underneath. People can instantly recognize what they're looking at and then see this, this blob of methane 
data that's over the top. This is what Earth observation should be about, is this whole thing of taking, you know, one is an open data set and has been funded sort of publicly. And and then the other one is a commercial company trying to make its way. And you can take both of them and really, really come up with something so powerful that, I mean, I, I really hope this becomes a service that people are using because it should be. This is a really good example of how the data should be used. And yeah. I yeah. think you know, any country that needs to be monitoring its its methane levels and particularly from uh, landfill should be looking into this. The atmospheric science, I think it's just the area that most excites me in Earth observation today. What I really want to see is some evidence that different countries are procuring these services. Like we've just mentioned, this type of output is really compelling and it's really useful and it is really needed now in order to prove that actually we can monitor the greenhouse gases that are there and we can make a difference if we know where they're being released from, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I'm sold on the technology. I think it's amazing. I'm sold on the service. I think it has massive potential. What I really want to see now is evidence that more than just a couple of um, projects have been done or more than just a couple of project partners are saying it's great. I want to see this rolled out and lots of countries going, yes, this is amazing. Okay. One more thing I want to mention. <laughs> I'm allowed. Um, Go for it. And I feel I have to mention it. The semi-automatic classification plugin for QGIS just blows my mind. In September, we have now the ability to download Sentinel-1 data and pre-process it, assuming you have the Snap libraries installed on your computer. And if that wasn't enough, also we've got the semi-automatic classification plugin downloading geostationary satellite data. Hey. Processing GOES-R images. So this is just becoming... I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible, this thing is. It's just plugging this. <laughs> it's not a word anymore, is it? I mean, this is what skills we've got. This is amazing. This is yeah. amazing. You could do a whole hour just talking about the capabilities of this. I mean, you know, most people come across it because they want to do some classification of, 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 of images. And then they realize, oh, I can download using this. And, oh, I can pre-process it. And hang on a second, there's... Oh, I've got Sentinel-2 and Landsat and Modis and, you know. So I haven't yet thought about what we're going to do for our Christmas special. We could do a live process some imagery through this. That might be interesting. I think I'd rather just watch you do a live eating your Christmas pudding. How much can you eat? <laughs> and I'll commentate on it. <laughs> Listeners, do you want Christmas to watch me? <laughs> uh, but that'd be brilliant. Okay, and that's it for the news. We want to have a quick discussion about conferences this episode and this comes from a comment that Andrew made on our Trello planning board at the start of 2019 or thereabouts which was why don't we have a SAT summit? And I guess that the we in this context meant the UK or Europe but maybe you can add some context and broaden out the topic a little bit to sort of what were you thinking Andrew when you, you first made that comment? Yeah, it was a few years ago, wasn't it? Because yeah. they haven't done a SAT summit for a while. Yeah, I think 2018 was the last one. Maybe we've come closer to it in the last two years. And there's a lot of online conferences going on now, some this week, some that have happened. And I, I, I'm struggling to keep up with them all and knowing which one to go on. And I'd, I'd be really interested to know from people. I mean, this is a conversation that you, that you would have in an event if if it was being recorded. If you were in a if you were in a conference, would that 
would you go back and watch that video of that presentation? I'm not sure I've, I've ever done that. I, I would normally um, catch up on a video and, and watch it at one and a half speed or double speed to sort of to get through it because they tend to be too long generally. I haven't been to a sat salon, so it's sort of unfair for me to say that this seems to be the ultimate uh, event, but it does seem to be nicely condensed. It does seem to be drawing interesting people into the same room to talk about the state of Earth observation and satellite data in the industry today. Were those the two main things? So the, the fact that it's condensed and the fact that it was an interesting agenda were those the two main things that really drew you to it i think it's two days and i, I think two days is, is enough from what i can remember from sat summit that they had interesting groups of people talking about what's going on so you know they had i remember them having a, a sort of round table between the major suppliers in, of imagery like digital globe at the time uh, nasa isa planet i think were, were all there to discuss where the field is going again like you I, I didn't attend but i think the concept at the time was so very different from anything that we were seeing and i agree with you that the fact that we're the world is in lockdown and we're not traveling as much as really i think kick-started people into thinking about how to make conferences a lot more interesting and a lot more engaging um, but I do think that Sat Summit was it was there before everyone else had to try and catch up, and I, th I think that's that's an interesting point. Some of the other conferences that I, I want to try and weave into this whole topic, if I can, is the Cloud Native Day that we had earlier this year, and also the Phosphor G UK, as well as talking a little bit about maybe the RSPSOC conference that happened at the beginning of September online for the first time. Phi Week, which I think is happening this week. Yep. Um, yep. And also Geo for Good, which is coming up in a couple of weeks' time. I guess the Cloud Native Day is probably the most relevant to talk about in terms of the SAT Summit. I don't know whether you would agree, but that seems to be like the, the natural successor to the SAT Summit. Yeah, I think so uh, from this year. Question for you, though. Do you think it's acceptable to attend very passively? to have it on one screen in the background and try and pick up as you go along through your day, through your working day? Or do you think that you should commit fully to it like you would if you were at a conference? I don't know about you, but it seems to me that people within the industry have very luckily, in the main, been pretty busy this summer. So I get why people might want to try and do work on the side whilst having some of the, the content from different conferences sort of on a, a screen to the side or whatever. So there's two, two things, I think, here. One is that if you're going to attend a, a conference and if it's not a sort of webinar format where you don't get to see the attendees, then I think you should have your camera on and I think you should be engaged. It, it's only polite to the speaker that you're there and engaged. If you're not interested in what's being spoken about, then I think you should drop out and come back into the agenda when you are interested in something that's there. I think that if you're in an hour and a half meeting, I think that you should be completely focused on it. And if you're not, then perhaps don't attend. I think if, if you're registered for a week for an event, I think it would be very unlikely for somebody to, to spend a week of their leave on this. 
I guess one of the things that is maybe missing from these online conferences that might create more engagement uh, and certainly would be much more engaging if you were there in person is the whole networking side of things. And uh-huh. I've been to a few sort of online conferences where there's been a sort of an attempt to try and enforce networking. And I don't think that really works. It's that loose networking that you have when you're grabbing a coffee or something at a, an in-person conference that is missing. I don't have the answer as to how that's going to be transferred into sort of online conferences, but and I, I don't think many people do have an answer to that. That's a really strong part of human behavior and human network creation that I think is something that we're all craving for. And certainly, uh, so I was involved in the Phosphogy UK organization earlier in the year, and the feedback we got from that was, although it was a very well-received conference overall, again, one of the things that people wanted was this whole networking aspect. And we did try. We had um, we had a coffee room stream. But again, I think people were confused about how they were supposed to use it and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think if anyone can nail that informal networking, that chat, that bumping into someone that you've not seen for a while, then that would be a really great way to uh, have a, a, a conference online maybe we need to have the equivalent of speed dating for networking yeah. online where you get 20 people that you know picking a number at random but they agree to all meet each other for three minutes and then it rotates around to the next pair you, yeah. you know you go you go around and you've spoken to all other 19 people by the end of whatever it is I don't know. That's a good point because you don't know who's who else is in an online conference quite often. So it might be that they have their video off and, and but you can see their name, but it might just be Bob or Sue Jones. Whereas if you're at an in-person conference, you see Bob walk past you and you see underneath it's got Maxar written on there or Sue Jones and they're from ISI or whatever. And and so you at least understand what organizations are being represented, even if you don't know those people in person. Yeah, it, it, you're right. It needs something like a sort of online speed dating type thing just to find out who else is in the virtual room with you listening to the speakers. Could we set that up? Because I'd be, uh, yeah. I'd be interested to do something like that. Yeah, the networking is missing a, a, yeah. a bit. But I also I kind of feel that there's too many conferences. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I am I am fatigued by the amount of screen time I spend at the moment. And I think most people are. So I'm going to ask two questions and maybe we can both try and put our thoughts together for this one. But first off, why do we think that some of these events are better than others? And I guess linked from that, what do we want from a conference or event? What would make the perfect event for you, really? Um, I think being independent has a has a big bigger big drive and that's what i like about sat summit it seems to be people coming together yeah and i really like collaboration i think i like collaboration more than like the idea of open there's a number of companies involved in sat summit who have more interesting collaboration i think the us does that sort of stuff a bit better than we do so so that's one thing what was the other question (laughs) why do we think some of these events are better than others but maybe you've sort of answered that so in terms of what I think some of the events do better than others, this is going to sound really trite, but what I love about Sat Summit, and I'm looking at the 2018 webpage now, is just the webpage is really simple and really clean, and it just draws you in. You know, when I first looked at it, I was like, 
oh my god sat something what's this is that satellite data for global development okay so that tells me what it's going to be about cool it's two days i can see that straight off and then as you scroll down there's a little bit of text about what it's about but i didn't bother reading that there's massive pictures of people having a great time looking really engaged looking interested and it was like you you've already gone from the headline about what it is right the way down through a couple of scrolls and nothing's been plugged at you about what it is but you instantly know you're going to enjoy it just because of the the way that the website has been designed because it's got people that you look at and you think yeah, that's the sort of person I work with, and that's fine. And then as you go down into the sessions, you scroll down, you look at the sessions and you're sort of looking for something that's going to be really obvious, like, I don't know, radar for agriculture. And it's like, there's none of that. There's Ion Gotham, and there's a pixel tells a thousand words, and there's conservation conversation, and there's out of the dark, what would you learn from the world at night? So instantly, I'm like, oh, I'm piqued by this. I think this is really cool. They've they've tweaked like we all once you you look through the words and and you look at each session you know what they are and it's sort of things that we all recognize but by having that slightly different take on how they describe it really again really engages me and I'm like okay this is going to be very different and then again the sponsorship right at the bottom is really understated it's really important that it's there and some of the companies that are and organizations that are listed are really important in the whole world of Earth observation at the moment. But again, it's not as if they've got massive logos or anything, or one's bigger than another or anything like that. They're all the same size. They're not, they're all white. And it's just, it's really well done, this website. And it's this, I think, that was the first thing that made me think this could be a completely different way of doing a conference. And it'd be really interesting to know whether or not people who went felt that they were at something special because it certainly comes across from all the social media posts that we we saw and from the yeah. website that it's it is something different okay um i'm conscious of time so i'm just going to come back to this this point about what i want from a conference or event and i think it's sort of linked with yours so a one-day event for me is fine happy with that i've done two online events now that are one day in total but they're an afternoon and then a morning the next day and i that works really well for me personally i think that's quite a nice break i think there needs to be loads of really interesting people in the room everyone should be able to talk to each other comfortably and I don't think I've really been to anything like that. I think, you know, if you're a junior member of an organization, you are naturally going to be wary of going and talking to CEOs, talking about what we want from a conference. It would be amazing to have a, a conference where you didn't think like, oh, that's the CEO of such and such company, or someone thought, oh, they're just some students, don't need to chat to them or whatever. I think it would be so cool to have an event where almost your position within the Earth observation sector was meaningless and that you were there because of your ideas and because of what you could contribute and it, going back exactly to what you were saying about collaborating and then i'd say the final thing that i'd want from a conference is a, a specific point as to what i need to know why i'm there and i think far too many of these online ones are just people talking about uh, various different things and that's great but in order to keep engagement from your online audience, I think there needs to be a very, very strong reason that everyone is going to this conference. Okay, how about this? Should we have a scene from above day put on our own conference with all of the various different components that we want? 
What do you think, listeners? Andrew's very silent. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're super keen on it. That's what I would be quite happy to have conversations with people who did want to put something on in the vein of the types of things that you and I have just spoken about. I'm going to stop us there. I think that's been a really useful conversation, actually. As the world becomes increasingly odd and faces multiple challenges on all fronts, we encourage you to drop us a line through Twitter using at EOSeenFrom, where you can also interact with a vibrant community based around the podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And that's it for now. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Asta. Bye. Bye. Have we got an interview next time? Podcast music is Cracker Jacks and Tin Whistles by Ocean Heights and is licensed under the Attribution Non-Commercial Creative Commons license. Available on freemusicarchive.org.